Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Sir Gibby, the parlor. The day went on and went on out. Its short autumnal brightness quenched in a chilly fog. All along the witty hill, the gas was alight in the low-browed, dingy shops. To the well-to-do citizen, hastening home, to the topmost business of the day, his dinner, these looked the boats of unlovely poverty and mean struggle. Even to those behind their counters, in their back parlors, and in their rooms above, everything about them looked common to most of them, save the owners, wearisome. But to yon pale-faced student, gliding in the glow of his red gown, through the gray mist, back to his lodging, and peeping in at every open door as he passes, they are so full of mystery, that gladly would he yield all he has gathered from books, for one genuine glance of insight into the vital movement of the hearts and households, of which those open shops are the sole outward and visible signs. Each house is to him a nest of human birds, over which brood the eternal wings of love and purpose. Only such different birds are hatched from the same nest. And what a nest was then the city itself, with its university, its schools, its churches, its hospitals, its missions, its homes, its lodging houses, its hotels, its drinking shops, its houses valor still, its factories, its ships, its great steamers, and the same humanity busy in all. Here the sickly lady walking in the panoply of love, unharmed through the horrors of vicious suffering. In his shed under the stair it had been dark for some time, too dark for work, that is, and George Galbraith had lighted a candle. He never felt at liberty to leave off so long as a man was recognizable in the street by daylight. But now at last, with a sigh of relief, he rose. The hour was come, the moment of it at hand. Outwardly calm, he was within eager, as a lover to reach Lucky Crowell's back parlor. His hand trembled with expectation as he laid from it the awl, took from between his knees the great boot on the toe of which he had been stitching a patch, lifted the yoke of his leather apron over his head, and threw it aside, with one hasty glance around, as if he feared some enemy lurking near to prevent his escape. He caught up a hat which looked as if it had been brushed with grease pulled it on his head with both hands, stepped out quickly, closed the door behind him, turned the key, left it in the lock, and made straight for his earthly paradise, but with chastened step. All Mr. Crowell's customers made a point of looking decent in the street, strove in their very consciousness to carry the expression of being on their way to their tea, not their toddy, or if their toddy, then not that they desired it, but merely that it was their custom always out of an afternoon. Man had no choice. He must fill space. He must occupy himself. And if so, why not Mistress Crowell's the place and the consumption of whiskey the occupation? But alas, for their world would be seeming indifference. Everybody in the lane, almost in the witty hill, knew every one of them and knew him for what he was. Knew that as the heart for the water brook so thirsted his so after another tumbler 
that he made haste to swallow the last drops of the present, that he might behold the plenitude of the next steaming before him, that like the miser he always understated the amount of the treasure he had secured, because the less he acknowledged, the more he thought he could claim. George was a tall man of good figure, loosened and bowed. His face was well favored, but not a little wronged by the beard and dirt of a week, through which it gloomed haggard and white. Beneath his projecting black brows his eyes gleamed doubtful, as a wood fire, where white ash dims the glow. He looked neither to the right nor left, but walked on with moveless dull gaze, noting nothing. "'Yon's his ain't wast enemy,' said the kindly grocer wife as he passed her door. "'Ay,' responded her customer, who kept a shop nearby for old furniture, or anything that had been already once owned. "'Ay, I dare say, but eh, to see their per neglected baron owe oh, his rents, scorn about the tune and gate, when little old a jacket, but the collar and nothing owe oh, the brakes, but the do eh, woman.' It makes a mither's heart sad to look upon it. George was the first arrival at Mr. Scrolls that night. He opened the door of the shop like a thief, and glided softly into the dim parlor, where the candles were not yet lit. There was light enough, however, from the busy little fire in the grate, to show the clean, sanded floor which it crossed, with flickering shadows, the collared prints and cases of stuffed birds on the walls, the full-rigged barquet, suspended from the center of the ceiling, the black bottle on the table with the tumblers, each holding its ladle, and its wine glass turned bottom upwards. Nor must I omit a part without which the rest could not have been a whole, the kettle of water that sat on the hob softly crooning. Compared with the place where George had been at work all day, this was indeed an earthly paradise. Nor was the presence and appearance of Mistress Crowell an insignificant element in the paradise character of the place. She was now in a clean white cap with blue ribbons. Her hair was neatly divided and drawn back from her forehead. Every trace of dirt and untidiness had disappeared from her person, which was one of importance both in size and in bearing. She wore a gown of some dark stuff with bright flowers on it and a black silk apron. Her face was composed almost to sadness, and throughout the evening during which she waited in person upon her customers, she comported herself with such dignity that her slow step and stately carriage seemed rather to belong to the sisters at summer ceremony than to one who ministered to a few drunken tradespeople. She was seated on the horsehair sofa in the fair twilight, waiting for customers when the face of Galbraith came, peering round the door cheek. Come all band, she said hospitally, and arose, but as she did so, she added with a little change of tone, But I'm thinking, you mon, hey forgotten, Sir George, this is Saturday night. You can end going to war to be Sunday morning afore you want to your bed. It want to be the first time, and you mentioning me up here enough to get yourself shaved before Kirk time. She knew as well as George himself that never by any chance did he go to church, but it was, it was her custom, as I fancy it is that of some other bulwarks of society and pillars of the church, for the sake of example, I presume, to make not unfrequent allusion to certain observances, moral, religious, or sanitary, as if they were laws that everybody kept. Galbraith lifted his hand, black and embossed with cobbler's wax, and rubbed it thoughtfully over his chin. He accepted the fiction offered him. It was but the well-known prologue to a passage between them. 
What if he did not intend going to church the next day? Was that any reason why he should not look a little tidier when his hard work's, week's work was over and his nightly habit was turned into the comparatively harmless indulgence of a Saturday and sure hope of the day of rest behind? I didn't mean it. It was Saturday, he answered. I was I had pitting on a cleaner sark and washing my face, but I was just gang over here to the barbers and get a scrap, and maybe some of them will be here or I come back. Mrs. Crowell knew perfectly that there was no clean shirt in George's garret. She knew also that the shirt he then wore, which probably in consideration of her maid's festered hand, she would wash for him herself was one of her late husbands which she had given him, but George's speech was a one of those forms of sound words held fast by all who frequented Mistress Crowell's parlour, and by herself estimated at more than their worth. The woman had a genuine regard for Galbraith, neither the character nor fate of one of the rest gave her a moment's trouble, but in her secret mind she deplored that George should drink so inordinately, and so utterly neglect his child as to let him spend his life in the streets. She comforted herself, however, with the reflection that seeing he would drink, he drank with no bad companions, drank at all events where what natural wickedness might be in them, was suppressed by the sternness of her rule. Mm -hmm.